The other thing you've got to do in business is recognise people. The harder someone works, the more they should be given opportunity. Never been scared to invest in people. You know, you've got to invest in people. If you can connect people or be have a skill in that, it's amazing what you can open up in the world. Hey there, my name is Daniel Franco and this is the Creating Synergy podcast, your business and leadership podcast where we speak to high profile leaders and thinkers about their careers and dig deep by asking the questions we all want the answers to, uncovering their stories, strategies, leadership lessons and their secrets to success. So before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to start this one a little bit differently and put an ask out there for everyone listening in. We've been looking at the data lately and noticed that many people who listen to this podcast haven't actually subscribed to it yet. It would mean the absolute world to me for those who are listening in to subscribe. By doing so, the more subscribers we get, the more high quality leaders and experts we get on the podcast and share their stories with you. And from that, the more we all learn. So thanks in advance. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. Today I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with the great Andrew Downs, the founder of Sage Group, an amazing automation company that began its journey in Adelaide, South Australia and has since made its mark on the global stage. Andrew's journey of how Sage Automation started is one of the great South Australian business stories. From the early days of operating out of his backyard shed to being kicked out of that shed because the whole neighborhood was complaining about the noise to becoming a powerhouse in the industry. His story is one of resilience, innovation and strategic acumen. Now, the Sage Group has over 700 employees generating revenues of north of $200 million. And Andrew and I deep dive into his childhood upbringing and early career, the pivotal moments that set him on his path and how a boss that was almost considered a bully helped shape his character and leader who he is today. Andrew's strength is his ability to connect with people and create long-lasting partnerships, and he's been known to strike a deal off the back of a handshake agreement. So during this chat today, he leaves no stone unturned, sharing his company's growth strategies, including what he would call skunk works. We also discuss Andrew's leadership philosophy that embraces both success and failures and how the 2008 financial crisis almost decimated the business to Sage's growth and expansion beyond South Australian borders. I know you're absolutely going to love this conversation. It's filled with laughs, valuable lessons, insights, intriguing stories, and also glimpses far into the future of the Sage group. So without further ado, here is my chat with Andrew Downs. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. Today, I think we've got the a unicorn uh, entrepreneur on the show, Mr. Andrew Downs. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I say unicorn and I'll give a reason why I say that. It's, uh, Sage Group was founded by yours truly, yourself, um, 700 plus employees, 200 million in revenue. You're an entrepreneur of the year for EY, EY Entrepreneur of the Year. You're in 700 as 700 you're on seven plus boards um just one of the great south australian and australian business stories and kudos thank you yeah it's been a great time um what um what do we need to know about andrew i mean what from an earliest context point of view like going right back what do we need to know about your earliest context to understand who's sitting here yeah, today? let's let's start with my childhood yeah uh, i think uh, uh grew up in woodside yep humble beginnings dad was a a businessman, but a, a, he ended up a, a, a baker. He was yep. a baker and then he ended up a delivery driver. Mum 
just a beautiful mum. Never never had a driving license. Um, just lived a beautiful life. Very family focused. I got a brother, Stephen. Yep. So you know, back in those days, I'd say Woodside was more country than it mm-hmm. is now. Mm-hmm. It's more of a suburb of Adelaide now. Yeah, beautiful but spot. I'd say humble beginnings. Uh, not a lot of money floating around. Yep. But uh, good values. Um, happy childhood. Uh, never, never excelled at school, but then I was never pushed to excel at school. So right. it was just everyone was happy. Yeah, yeah. Just live life to the. Just live life. Is there anything now when you look back? Is there anything that actually makes you smile when you look back on it? Like you know, whether a fond memory with with your brother or your family. Is there anything that actually just makes you feel like home? Back well, home once again, I think you know society's changed a lot. I remember Sundays being. Literally going visiting cousins. Yeah. You know, so just driving had, around and my mum had five sisters and three brothers. You'd yeah. always be visiting cousins. That was the Sunday, yeah, you know, or the Sunday roast. And yeah. But it was you know, simple, yeah. enjoyable life. Yeah. You know, um, I remember those days. I remember those that used to just get in the car, drive around, and you'd, you'd knock on the door and see if anyone was home. There was an Italian thing where you used to like leave a leaf on the door or something like that. If I, some... And it would always be take <laughs> take some scones or, you know, sit down, have a cup of tea. And yeah. Honestly, they're just fond memories. That's brilliant. Did I mean you say you had wonderful parents? Dad, did he own the bakery, run and own the he bakery. He did. He had a brother, Ted, who yeah. was into racehorses. Yeah. Um, and Dad, they had the bakery together at Woodside. Yeah. I think Dad did most of the work. Uncle yeah. Ted <laughs> was more of a horse trainer. He fell in love with horses. Um, and then they got offered to. There was a buyout about yeah. when I was born. Yeah. And they okay. accepted that, and then Dad just worked for a boss. For, uh, for the rest of his years. Do you think, I mean, there's obviously some entrepreneurial spirit with your old man there. Do you think that had an impact on you? Well, that would go back to his mum. Yeah. They come out from the UK, yeah. uh, Granny Downs and Grandpa Downs, who I never never got to meet. He died right. before I was born. But they had bakeries in uh, Pinaroo, Lamaroo, Port Broughton. So she yeah, was wow. quite a successful businesswoman. And I, I think they would have, you know, gone on from what she she had done. Well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Do you make a? Do you make any good bake? Can you bake anything? Uh, mate, I'm, I'm actually an excellent cook. Oh, believe yeah? it or not. Really? Yeah. We can delve into that later. But yeah, I love cooking. It's one of my one number of your one past, passions. Pastimes. I got that probably from my mum, my dad, my brother. Yeah. We all we all love cooking. And so your mum. I mean, how, what did that look like growing up with no, no license, no job? Like, was it? Well, well simple. Just yeah. Basic, yeah. simple. Lots of love in the yeah. family. Um, Probably too much love, I would yeah. say. You know, over a little bit cotton wool, maybe. Yeah. You know, okay. um, uh, overprotective, possibly. Yeah. But, but just loving. You yeah. Know? And uh, uh, you know, home cooked meals. Dad, dad would. I don't think I went to a restaurant until yeah. I left and started work, type of thing. Cause, yeah. Know, wow. Dad would always say, "Your mother's a better cook." This type of thing. So, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, you grow your own vegetables and you do all that type of stuff. Remarkable. Remarkable. And so you said schooling wasn't your strength and you decided that uh, at 16 you were going to leave school and go and get an apprentice. Yep. Can you tell us about that story? So once again, I think there's always pros and cons in life. So mum and dad being so laid back and so wonderful, yep. they never cared one iota about homework, school, yep. grades or anything yep. as long as we were healthy and happy. Yep. That was their motto in life. Unfortunately, sort of, you get bad to, motto, it's pretty good, but <laughs> you do get into fourth year yeah. and you think, what am I going to do? <laughs> and I don't think they cared. Yeah. You know, I could have been a bloody leaning on a shovel for the local council. They would have been happy. But mm. I started to think, what am I going to do? And then panic sets in because 
you can't quickly go back and learn the last four years. Yeah, that's right. So you're 16, you're in year 11, and you start looking at all the competency you need or the, you know, the aptitude that you might need to get some of these jobs, and it's like, nah, nah, nah. And my cousin, Laurie, who used to work on the railways, he said, you know, these, these are the little things you pick up in life. He said, oh, look, become an electrician. He said, I'm, I'm a ganger on a rail on a rail gang. Yeah. He said, we work our guts out. Those electricians, they just come up, twist a couple of wires together, piss off, and that's it. <laughs> that's a, so I thought about that it. Sounds I said, well, easy enough. You know what? <laughs> that's what I'll do. So I went yeah. and handwritten, handwrote, you know, yeah. um, maybe 20 uh, applications yeah, wow. for, for, for work experience firstly and for an apprenticeship. So it was simple as that. Brilliant. And Bridgestone? Well, well obviously I, I applied for things like um, – in those days, the Electricity Trust of South Australia, yeah. there was Telecom, there was uh, EWNS. Yep. There was and, – and it's all like, no. No. I, I went to all the – I went to all Just the – straight to the big ones. I went to all the big <laughs> ones, but, you know, it's like you have been unsuccessful, yeah. you've been unsuccessful. I did get an apprenticeship as a fitter and turner with uh, Simpson in those days. Oh, yeah. Simpson's out of Dudley Park. Yeah. But I had my heart set. I didn't even know what a fitter was. Yeah. And I had my heart set an electrician. And somehow through that process – of 20 different interviews and, you know, by the way, electrical contractors as well. There was yep. there would have been Nilsons and ODG and all those yeah, guys. Yeah. I'd forgot about the Union Raw yeah. slash Bridgestone yeah. one. And you have these moments in life and you think, you know what, I really fucked this up, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I was totally, totally, um, I just said, yep, I've got to go back and repeat year 11 or do year 12 because I didn't fail year 11 yeah. and I'll just focus, work hard and I will get, the job done mm-hmm. and I come home from school and I told dad because it was um it was late December and yeah it was about the last week of school of yeah. school had just finished yeah. and uh uh I told dad look I have to go back to school this is a disaster <laughs> um I've learned a lesson here though you know you got to work hard yeah. and he said oh, I got a phone call from um Unirol today and you and you didn't do well there either and I said yeah yeah dad I told you I'm I'm resigned to the fact I've got to go to school. But anyway, he didn't tell me the truth. He told me, let me, let me just uh, wallow in my own pity for another five minutes and say, <laughs> you've actually got the job. Oh, well done. So we went out. And, Very good. You know, even from humble beginnings, he said, I'll get you a good car. Yep. So he got me a brand new Ford Escort, yep. four-door, two-litre. 16-year-old boy running 79 rally pack, 16 <laughs> years of age, brand new car. There's a story about the car later. You must ask me. All right. Why can't I ask it now? Is it? Well, I just had it represented to me. Oh, really? On the day of the city debate, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, how, how, and so did you sell it in the meantime? Or? Don't know where it went after I got rid of it, but I spoke to some mates about this love of mine, a, a car when yeah. I was 16. Yeah. And um, you know, we don't know if it's the original, but it is the same model, the same spec. Oh, so you don't know if it was the one that was yours? It could, they reckon it did come from South Australia, made it way to Victoria, but the same number plates. Oh, really? The number plates. It's a, it's a look. Amazing story. That's so good. So I was represented at my 60th. All completely basically. like. Oh, beautifully restored. So wasn't, was your 60th, your 60th was away though, wasn't it, didn't uh, you? Yeah, I went up to Early Beach and yeah. I had my 60th here. Which oh, is here, okay. But That's all I'm saying, I did that City to Bay run and they thought that was the day they'd present it. That's amazing. So so let's talk about that City to Bay for a moment. Yeah. We'll cut forward and then we'll come back. So Proud moment recently that you've just achieved and you and raised some amazing money for some charities and yep. can you tell us a little bit about well that? what it was was um, I started 
I started a PT. I started using a PT about a couple of years ago. Yeah. Started getting fitter. Never been a runner in my life. By the way, not an elite sportsman like yourself. <laughs> um, you know, just someone that's always run around and doing bits and pieces. I'm not an elite sportsman now, mate. Put so. <laughs> put on plenty of weight over my time. Drink too much. Eat run foods. All that stuff. Done a lot of that too. And <laughs> and I decided to get fit uh, with um, uh, Quinton Ewey. He's my PT. Yep. And running is definitely not my thing. But we started to run, mm. and he wasn't a runner either. And then we started to run. We did the, we did the city to bay in 2019, and you know, shocking time, one hour, twelve or something. Yeah, yeah. nearly blew a gasket. It Mate, was hot. It's still pretty, pretty good time oh, for, well, for yeah. those who aren't runners. No, but so. horrible run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I just thought to myself, you know what? Wouldn't it be great to set a goal, a long term goal, mm-hmm. to run that event under an hour? Yeah, and 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 could I do it? That's the benchmark, and it's like under five minute kilometers. Is the under way. five minute yeah. Chase. yeah. And uh, I said, look, you know what? Why wouldn't I think of that? And then I came up with my own slogan: sixty under sixty. Yeah, brilliant. And I said, it'll be hard work. And then you know, I had I think twenty twenty two was a was a blowout year because I went away for like six weeks overseas, <laughs> and I tried the city to bay again. It was one oh eight. Yeah, you know, running it. around you know, close to ninety kilos, and I said, man, you, there's a lot of work to do. So I focused and. And after I went to the Ashes, uh, which had a little bit of a blowout there, <laughs> I come back and I had eight weeks, eight weeks to get Solid, yeah. this this training done with a birthday. But there's a birthday, birthday locked in there too, yeah. so I had to plan all that. And um, yeah, lost weight. I'm probably the lightest I've been since I left bloody school. How much? 70, 78 this morning, seventy eight kilos. Yeah, well done this morning. So I got my weight down. Still running now? Yep, yep. Run this morning. So I run six k's at. 27 and a half minutes or something. Beautiful. Yeah. Smashing it. You're yeah. loving the running now. Enjoying it more it's and more. It's meditative, and more. isn't it? I really enjoy running. And feel good when you finish. Yeah. So set the goal. Then I thought, well, it's not just about me. Why don't we try to raise some money mm. for charity? A very good friend of mine, Joe Collins, set up a, a foundation called the Sliding Doors Foundation. Yeah. Great. And um, so we ended, up, we ended up being the top fund raiser for the whole city to Bay. That's, you am- know, that's amazing. 40... Forty-two and a half thousand or something, and I, I managed to raise nearly twenty-five thousand. Well done, well kudos, and fifty-eight minutes. Fifty-eight, fifty-five. Fifty-eight, well, that's 55, just under fifty-nine. Just under fifty-nine. That's as long as I would come in at fifty-nine, fifty-nine. I'd, I'd achieve that's my goal. That's phenomenal running. It was bloody hot too. It would have been. It yeah, was, that morning was warm. It was brutal. How'd yeah. you feel after? Uh, elated when I finished it, but yeah. around about the nine k mark, I'm thinking, can I get? There? You know, <laughs> oh, no. legs are getting heavy and. Uh, Heart was running up over 170 beats a minute. But anyway, we did it. You did it. Well, fantastic story, that one, and, and kudos. And, and, and I guess half everyone, thanks for all the, the effort in regards to your charity. That's amazing work. So back to the Bridgestone world. We start there. Well, I think last time we spoke, you said to me that there was a pivotal person in, in your career, early in your career, uh, at Bridgestone yeah. who kind of took you under his wing but might have been a little bit of a bully in the same process. Is Absolutely. That... Yeah, the great Brian Coles, right, yeah. he's, he's, he's since passed. But um, I just go back and I think about you're 16, yeah. you're a kid, mm-hmm. you've just been you're just you're driving a brand new car and you've got to get <laughs> up at 6 in the morning, drive, there was no tunnels then, it was, and just get up yeah. and drive to work. Had to yeah. be at work by 7 and you just walk into this new world. So it's like that TV show, you know, when you you don't know what's going to happen, yeah. you walk behind the, yeah. what the hell's going on? Yeah, yeah. 
there's all these. Thank God you're here. There's, that one. <laughs> there's, there's equipment, machinery. There's smells. There's rubber. There's there's tradesmen. There's people, and you're just this kid saying, "What?" The so you hadn't met anyone there. You no, just no, went. no. They just said, "Roll up on the 16th of 16th of January, 1980. Roll up, go to the foyer." I met the other two apprentices there who become great friends of mine as well. Yeah, wow. You know, mate, I'll talk about Barbecue Bob later, but he was there first day of his apprenticeship, and um, that's it. Off you go. And Good. just yeah. straight onto the line. Well, not on the line. You're an apprentice. They yeah. oh, take yeah, you into the workshop yeah, then, and then yeah. you, you meet all the people and you've got to put up with all the shit that apprentices put, get, get exposed to, you know, like making jokes and stuff like that. But, hey, it was a yeah. – so, so, so tell us about your boss. Why was it so pivotal? Well, probably it wasn't – I didn't even realise. He, he wasn't my first boss there either. Yeah, okay. But he was, the, he was the guy that I eventually got assigned to. Yeah. And – he was as hard as nails. He was tough, right? So, you know, I'm not too, um, I'm not too proud to say there's days you're in tears. Yeah. You'd, you'd try to do your best just, and you'd say it's not good enough. Mm. I remember doing some work. He'd rip it off the bloody wall or he'd say you have to stay back and finish it. And that's why I'm talking about, you know, is it bullying or great education? Mm. I'd, I'd say at the time it fell up. I would have felt like yeah. this guy's been an absolute prick. He's un. You know, this is unfair. <laughs> I want to throw my apprenticeship in. Yeah. I've had enough. I look back now, these are the best, this is the best education I could have got. Mm. You know, what, what helps you build the calluses, right? Builds the calluses. Understand quality. Mm. Do it right the first time. Don't accept mediocrity. So all those lessons mm. um, augured so well for, for, for my career at Sage. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, so he was like a father. So yeah. as hard as he was, we ended up having some fantastic bloody arguments and we had some <laughs> blues but we also had some great times. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And so the transition, you, you're growing, you're in your career. Because how long were you at Bridgestone for? Uh, I was 14 years before Four, I started Sage. But, 14. But when I got the apprenticeship and I learned, there's a couple of things I learned. Yeah. I learned that I love the job. Mm-hmm. And I also learned that I wasn't as dumb as I thought because trade school I really excelled at. Yeah. And I think there's some connection between loving what you do. Yeah. And then applying an education. Not without doubt. I think it's where schools miss the mark a bit. Yes. Um, yeah. And then I worked out that with spare time I could do extra study. So I did, oh, while I was doing my apprenticeship, I did all these extra, they used to call them like post-trade subjects, mm. industrial electronics, radio servicing. So I, I probably nearly spent every night at Regency TAFE, uh, you know, out there just doing extra courses. What was the motivation Oh, because the more knowledge, the more I could contribute back at the job. I mean, it's, yeah, just, okay. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah, you loved it that much that it was Love just, it. Yeah. And, then, and then you get – the era was good too because it was the start of industrial electronics. Mm. It was the start of um, PLCs, yep. which is what Sage basically yeah. does. It was the start of that whole thing. There was no one else with knowledge. So mm. I got elevated very quickly, even during my apprenticeship. I, you know, give it to Downsy to do as a – he can program the PLC or – if there's automation, get him to do it. Yeah. So they even built a little electronics office down there, worked with another character called Bob Murphy, yeah. another old-fashioned, you know, uh, uh, great great bloke, great knowledge but hard as nails as yeah. well. Yeah. Hmm. So that throughout that career you're learning, you're, you're improving, you're moving up the ranks and you decide, actually, there's an opportunity here that I can start something in the back, in the back shed. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I've been, I've, I've been promoted. Um, I'm starting to look after the whole maintenance department. Mm-hmm. I've got about 40 guys working for me at 25. Yeah, wow. So there's a bit of 
bit of natural leadership's come into it. Yeah, yeah, great. But I'm still loving doing all the automation and upgrading stuff, and um, so that was like an ongoing passion. And and it's funny, you know, Bridgestone's a very good company, uh, great superannuation, good salary. I'll go back one step. I was on the clock yeah. in those formative years, so yeah. every extra hour was overtime. Time and a half, double time. I was making more money than some of the top managers. Yeah, wow. Seven days a week, yeah. loving it. And then they caught up with me and they said, listen, mate, you've now got to go on a salary. <laughs> and the mass of the salary didn't work for me so yeah. well. So what do you mean? I have to work 40 hours a week. No, I get paid 40 hours a week. But still do the but same hours. if you want me to do 70, 80, 90 hours, I get the same money. And it's, um, I look back and maybe that's a bit selfish, but I thought, well, hang on, I'm not, I'm not over keen on this. Mm. So I started pulling my hours back mm. at Bridgestones, and then what am I going to do? And that's when I started tinkering. So With a very good friend of mine, actually, you know, we, we we did it together. So you had no choice but to take the forty-hour salary. That's right. I mean, and then so and then that's why I'm well, I'm not giving. That would be effort. that would be the norm in any job, right? Yeah, uh, you hit this certain threshold. Yeah, you know, like making a hundred grand a year. Yeah. Back then was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, you're now on 45. Yeah. Or something like that, right? Yeah. So I could, oh, well, shit, what am I going to I'm not going to work Saturdays and Sundays. So yeah. I started doing electrical contracting at night, which yeah. I had done. A very good friend of mine, Paul Hurley, I went yeah. to, uh, we did our associate diplomas together in electrical yeah. engineering and we did more drinking than studying, but he was a mate. So <laughs> we would we would do stuff at night, weekends. Yep. Um, and that's when I met the electrical contractor. He said, hey you could actually do a bit of automation work for us mm. um, and build a shed. So that was the start was, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? There's a point where, no, nah, they took the money away. Yeah. That so wasn't going to do it for me. And then I'm off doing this moonlighting, working at nights, go make my working own. weekends yeah. and loving it, by the way. Yeah. And so at what point did it get just too much where you were getting more work for – Part of our story, and I've told this story many times, was the first job. Now, now my friend Paul Hurley, uh, his nickname was Grogan. Yep. And my nickname was Scallop, right? And we did Where, this what, like from what? I don't know. <laughs> Bob Amaris is an old tradesman. He couldn't say scut. Don't don't even go there because it was scallop and turned into scallop. <laughs> but these things stick. And um, Paul had a little unit at Ascot Park there, and he. He wanted to get a Vandalite put in, so he had to go to the Strata title to say, I want to put in a Vandalite. Yeah. And um, and I said, well, we'll do it, and, you know, a bit of, bit of beer money. Yeah. And, uh, yep, the Strata approved the Vandalite and um, we went there one Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, bought a roll of cable, Vandalite, got up on the roof, did all this work and at the end of the job we had a little carbon um, – I love it when my grandkids will hear this one day. I'll say, well, yeah. what is a carbon invoice book, right? We've got this new book from the newsagent. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I actually said, what are we going to put on the top of the invoice? And, you know, it's just you and me doing yeah. this electrical yeah. work. He said, just put Sage on the top. Oh, well, what's it all about? Scallop and Grogan Electrical. Oh, you're kidding. No, and that's why we still have the capitals today. Big S-A-G-E. So it was S.A.E. Brilliant. Electrical. At the end. Fantastic. One Vandalite, 150 bucks, and we put the invoice in. And I'll be honest with you too, uh, we've talked about honesty in this podcast. Um, 
but basically we didn't get paid that day, but we knew we'd earn 150 bucks. So we went straight down to the West Adelaide Football Club, yeah. <laughs> got bloody blind drunk and had a great day, right? <laughs> so somehow there's a connection between working hard and playing hard. And then playing hard, which become part of our early days culture, I suppose. And so Sage grows from there. So, so, so I've got to know. We've got a business yeah, card there. Yeah. We go and get a business card. Yeah. Sage, I've got all these old business cards at home. It was really creative because I'm not a creative person. Like a sign wave on the front with <laughs> S.A.G.E. Uh, Paul Hurley. And we didn't even – we're that tight we didn't even have separate business cards. We're both <laughs> on the business the card. Right? That's it. But then we started doing work for this electrical contractor called A&J Electrical who mm-hmm. knew that our skill set is something that he could sell. Yeah. You know, we yep. worked for, for Michelle's, Michelle's Wool. Yep. And yep. I started working for um, Rockler, mm-hmm. Rockler uh, Concrete. So, so the skill set was good. I mean, you just don't make this stuff up. No. So no. good quality, yep. which had been hammered into me. Um, yeah. And the ability to do good quality work yep. was, was, was well and received. Not, and, not abs- and not accepting poor quality stuff. No, right? and, yeah. and doing the best you can. Absolutely. So, so that, that set the foundations for a very good um, uh, Entering into your own business. Yeah. So 91 was when I did the, the Vandalite. Yep. 94 was when I left Bridgestone. So yeah. there's a good three years of transition, transitioning, period. working yeah. behind, built a big shed behind an old house that my mum owned. You know, was I ever going to leave? Did I have it in my head to leave Bridgestones? Not really. Yeah. But the day come when Colsey, the old, um, my, my mentor and yeah. nemesis who, I'd, who <laughs> I was working for, he, he basically uh, caught up with me one day and I, I could still mark the spot. Unfortunately, it's a Bunnings now, right? Yeah. So was. <laughs> but I, I could still find the spot and he pulled me up. And as he was, he was pretty pretty harsh. And he said, you know, you're not working properly for me. You're, you're, look at you. You're up all night doing all that other bullshit for Sage. I tell you what, you either stop that business, you stop Sage and focus on your career here at Bridgestones or – I'll accept your resignation immediately. I said, all right, I'm going. That was it. March, what did he say when you said He said, good. He said, good. That's like it was good. I said, good. That's, you've made a bloody decision. What's you've the worst? Working together for 14 years, was he at all upset that you no, were leaving? No, no. Just I, I, he piss was, off, mate. I think <laughs> that's why he's such a formative guy in my life, yeah. right? I think he knew that he, I had to have the ultimatum. Yeah. Otherwise I would have kept going, you know, because it's – there's fear out there, you know. I've got a well-paid job, yeah, um, and I'm probably working at fifty percent capacity, which is yeah. not good. Yeah, I'm working at night, making money, yeah, building something, and I think he stepped in and said, you know, this has got to stop. Yeah, probably as much for Bridgestones, to be honest with you. Yeah, and for me, how much were you making at that time compared to your wage? Ah, uh, you know, probably making my wage like if yeah. you're on forty-five grand a year, probably make another forty-five. So you, so, so you walked out and you had work straight away. All, all I did is got back to what I had before. Yeah, type of yeah, thing. yeah. So, um, but then I started to learn that any money you made, I was building a shed, yeah, buying equipment. Oh, it's all going back in. It's all going back in. It's the. It's not going out of the pub. No, well, there's always <laughs> well, an element. Yeah, of that. There is. Well, yeah, put ten percent over there for that. So that, that that was it. So that was an instant decision. Um, he was very supportive. I think even proud, he'd probably never tell me that. And you know, is he still alive? No, no, he no, did pass he away. Did pass away. I spoke at his funeral. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's it. Four weeks' notice, and uh, obviously had one of the great, great uh, celebrations of of someone leaving a firm. We went to the Cork and Cleaver. We had this cracking night, and I remember 
it was Friday night, Cork and Cleaver, you know, uh, we really celebrated hard and I'm up 6 o'clock the next morning. Working. It was around about the 1st of July, which worked out to be aligning with the yeah. financial year. Yeah. And that's it. I was I was having to put a control panel together for, for a job. So it's just a fantastic – it was a wonderful transition. So this podcast was brought to you by Synergy IQ. I'll ask you a quick question. Are you tired of the roller coaster ride that change brings? Well, I reckon we've got to listen up because I think we've got something game-changing for you. It's time to buckle up and embrace the power of Synergy IQ. You see, change can be a real pain if it's not managed right. Turnover, disengagement and confusion. It's enough to drive any corporate leader crazy. But fear not, my friend, Synergy IQ is here to unravel the complexity and create great change experiences for you and your people. We believe we've cracked the code with our research systems thinking approach. No more guesswork, no more wasted time. We break it down for you, saving you from missed deadlines and budget nightmares. And our promise? Timely, cost-effective and top-notch outcomes. But it doesn't stop there, my friends. At Synergy IQ, we're all about the people. You see, your team is the secret ingredient to success. Together, we'll help you build a high-performing organization by introducing our approach that speeds up change and taps into your people's natural ability to think fast and execute successfully. So it's time to say goodbye to chaos, confusion, and all those headaches. It's time to take charge and transform your organization. So if you're keen to help your business manage change in a way that no longer keeps you up at night, then check out synergyiq.com.au to learn more and book a chat with one of our transformation experts who can help you make sense of where to start. So um, Sage is, what was it, Scuttle, Scooter? Scallop. Scallop and, and Grogan, Grogan Electrical. And Grogan, what was his name? Paul Hurley. Paul Hurley. Is he still about the place? Paul, Paul worked for the uh, Australian Railways, Australian yeah. National Railways. I said to Paul, um, do you want to, and this was before that because yeah. I had a, I said, Paul, do you want to come on board with, with Sage? I'm, I'm leaving. And he said, yeah. well, to be honest with you, no. Hmm. Um, he was doing really well in the railways. Yep. Um, family man as well. Yep. Career, he said, look, it's been a good ride. So we split up a few dollars. There was no... Yeah, that was it. Still mates today? Still see Paul every now and then. I haven't, yeah. haven't seen him for a little while, but yeah, I'd say not a problem with us at all. The um, Then the growth of Sage happens. Well, now I'm in a backyard shed. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I'd already employed my first employee before I left Bridgestones because in those days the apprentices had to leave. Yeah, okay. Six, you know, once you do your four weeks, they four years, sorry, they say you've got to go. So a lad called Jason Taylor, Jason very skilled. Taylor. Yeah, Jason's already working in the back shed, doing Brilliant. bits and pieces. Before you'd even left Bridgestone. Before I'd left Bridgestone. So he was there by himself all day yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd come <laughs> in the shed. He'd be building control cabinets and that was feeding our little part-time business, right? Fabulous. I know so, Jason well. He's a great man. So Jason um, has is basically employee number one. I've said, right, we've got a – more serious now. I've got a – it's a business. Mm. And – uh, we're in a shed, 266 Seacombe Road, Seacliff Park. Beautiful shed, by the way, <laughs> and two of us. And then it wasn't long before um, I had an opportunity to, to do some programming work 
and that wasn't my forte. Yeah. So I sent Jason on a mission to go down to ACI Glass to do some programming. They loved what he did. And then I got no workers. So yeah, right workers. or wrong, I went back to Bridgestones and <laughs> talked to a guy yeah. called Sam Koulianas. I said, hey, Sam, this is great. Working for yourself is so cool. I love it. You know, it's freedom. Sam goes, oh, okay, yeah, well, I'll look at it. I said, all you've got to do is buy a van, mate. I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour on contract and off we go. Yep. And he did. So then Sam joined. And then um, I got an apprentice. Uh, and then Justin Carl joined, Justin, yeah. right, who was doing some just work experience with me. So, so quickly the shed went from one to two. We got to seven yeah, wow. in the first year. Who, who are the who are the f- this four that's still around today? Well, obviously, Jason, Jason, uh, Justin, Justin, Carl, and Sam Koulianos. Sam, Sam still yep, about. Sam still with us. When did Adrian join? Adrian joined bit later. probably later in about ninety eight. Uh, I reckon. Okay. So current yeah. CEO Adrian yeah. too. People have right. been with you a long, long. Yeah. Haul. So there's so there's the four um, from the from the seven, four. Are still with uh, say today, you know, holding senior roles, and they've been there for the whole journey. So, I've done a bit of digging, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> well, it's not so much digging. I flicked the text to a couple of the lads and said, "Can you give me some curly questions to, to ask?" <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> so, this one is um, was <laughs> I laughed when this one came through. Is it true that for the first 10 years of the business, you paid everyone as contractors so you didn't have to pay payroll tax? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and everything else, work cover, <laughs> shit. No, hang on, there's a statute of limitations for seven years. I can say that. No, just the most logical way to do this. Absolutely. Was that, to pay as much as you could, put it in the person's pocket. And yeah. You shouldn't give tax advice, but it's like, listen, mate, you ride off your van, you get a tax deduction, you can do this, you can do that. So, yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. Um, there's another question. So as part of your business strategy from day one, apparently it still operates today as well, is Skunk Works. Skunk Works. Skunk always, works. always believed in Skunk Works. Can you explain what this is? Oh, well, that, skunk Works is um, it's a term that comes from the military, but basically it's, it's, you, you do things without any um, uh, control or power from, from bureaucratic sources. So you've got this autonomy. Yep. Just go and do it. Just go and do it. But get the job done. Yeah. And um, I still use the word skunk works because that's sometimes some of the best ideas come from that. 100%. So you're not limited by budgets. You're doing stuff that you maybe shouldn't. Yeah. But then suddenly this result pops up. Yeah. And it's either good, bad, or you, you bring it in. Yeah. True entrepreneur, isn't it's, it? Really? It is a bit of the true entrepreneur. <laughs> now, this one's not related to the early days, but one of them asked, as an anti-port power supporter – you would rather see Port lose than Crows win. Is it true that you drove to Adelaide Oval at three-quarter time to watch Port lose a game to Brisbane? That is absolutely true. <laughs> uh, one of the greatest days. Um, only only to be surpassed by the 2004 Grand Final. Grand Final, final yeah. Which, That's uh, to my mom. happy. Yep, yeah, yeah, to Geelong, my mom. Geelong. 119 points. I've got that <laughs> behind my door. I went to the Sunday Mail. I said, can I get a photographic <laughs> version of the front page of your paper? And I've got it. I've got it framed. That is hilarious. It sits behind my door. Why the hate? Oh, it goes back to um, childhood memory. Yeah, okay. 1977. Yeah. Port versus Glenelg. Yeah. Are you a Glenelg? I'm a kid. My, my brother's a Port supporter then. Yeah. 
You're just, a base. Supporter? I'm a base supporter. Well, you're happy, of course. Happy now, of course. So, yeah, I was. I was there. On yeah, I was, Sunday. Yeah. But so we've lost. <coughs> I've had to put up with all the shit from Port supporters because <laughs> they haven't changed. <laughs> and that was the built-in. And I, I look at this many, many uh, uh, blokes I know in my era yeah. who have the same. It's just it's etched in you. Post-traumatic etched, stress. Post-traumatic. Yeah, it's PSTD. Whatever yeah. it is. Port Adelaide, that's it. Yeah. At 12, I'm done. No. No. Hate. Hate. <laughs> Hate's Hate. a strong word. It's a strong word. It's a bad <laughs> word. It's, but, you know, it's, it just relives that memory. And, no, I just can't stand the bastards. And, um, <laughs> and I, look, I know a lot of people from Port Board and I know people from – they're all pleasant people. So, yeah. you know. Oh, I know. The people my, just you know, the club senior you management want. team are yeah. bloody all Port supporters. Yeah. <laughs> Our Board are Port supporters. But, <laughs> but it's just – I'd rather see the – I'd rather see – Port lose and Crows win that's, on a given weekend and that's, that's that is, a sad, sad indictment. That is very, very funny. So at some point, going back to the all the all the lads, they've been they're still with you today, they've been yeah. there for, forever and a day, which just shows the loyalty. Adrian Faye comes along, he ends up being your... Yeah, well, there's a number of them. Paul Johnson, yeah, Carl Eichler, right. uh, uh, Paul Markwick, Adrian Faye. These guys have come on from other... From other jobs. But by the way, we're out of the shed at that time. Yeah. Okay. So, so you moved out of there. So, so the shed story was seven people were banging and crashing till midnight. Yeah. We're up at five. What did the neighbours think of that? Well, that's, they dobbed me into the council. Yeah, so that's why you had to get out. Well, first lesson in life <laughs> is is you should read stuff that you're sent from the council. <laughs> so I just kept grabbing the letter and just threw it in the bin. It's true. I just can't believe I did this. So I'm getting these notices and that from the council. I'm just ripping them off and putting them in the bin. Not not even reading them. Nah, just I, I, I thought something was bubbling away, but I thought, <laughs> why? I'm too busy to worry about all this stuff. And then we picked up a job in 1995. Early, we picked up a job in a brewery in Darwin. Yeah, for this Indian mob, right? Yeah. So we, so I'm in Darwin, up there, putting in um, uh, bottling line stuff yep. for the brewery, and my then partner Naomi said, "Look, we've just been served something that looks quite official." <laughs> someone's knocked on the front door and handed us something. Oh. And I said, well, you better open it up. And it said, you have been summoned to court um, on such and such a date for failure to do this and this. And I said, shit, that does sound a bit more serious. So I rang my then accountant, Bernie. I said, Bernie, I've got this. I mean, what do I do? He says, mate, you need a lawyer. Lawyer? Where am I going to get a lawyer from? I don't, I don't know a lawyer. Because I went to school with a guy called David Johnson. Give him a call. So... I got on to David Johnson and I'll still never, I'll never forget that conversation. I said, uh, excuse me, my name's Andrew Downs, you know. Um, David, I've just been handed some documents. And he goes, well, and he had a funny voice, right? Yeah. He goes, huh? <laughs> Send them to me now. So I said, Naomi, get a courier, get these things up to David Johnson's office. Well, that's a typical lawyer, is that one? <laughs> he had a, just, there's such a great story here. And um, he looked, he said, he rings me back. You are in big trouble, like really big trouble. Oh. They're going to shut you down. You, you're done. You're finished. I said, when are we in court? He said, next week. Oh, shit. I said, shit. He said, get your ass on a plane and get down here. And then I met David at, at the old house there in the shed and he's strutting around like bloody General Patton. He goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Why did you ignore all the notices? I said, oh, I don't know. I was busy. <laughs> bloody flat out. He goes, oh, all right, we've got to go to the Moores building. We've got a commissioner 
and um, uh, we rolled up <laughs> on a given day. So I'm, I've, I, I really know I've stuffed up, but yeah. like at school, right? I'm, yeah. I'm done here. Tail between your legs. And um, <clears throat> true story, I believe if I could get some video footage of my life, I wanted this because yeah. right? this was the castle. Yeah. This was the castle repeated. <laughs> And the there's serenity. me, there's me and Bull. I, I, I later ended up calling David Johnson Bulldog Johnson because yeah. he was so aggressive, but in a good way. But there's David, myself, and we looked at the other side of the table, and there's like 10 from the Brighton Council with oh, lawyers wow. and Christ knows what there. And, um, and they're going, they're banging on about how I've ignored all the notices, and this is just, you know, it, it was a judge or a commissioner, and this is just a blatant disregard for the law and everything else and Bulldog sat back and sat back and uh, then it was it was Bulldog's chance to have a go at these yeah. guys. This is where the castle comes in, right? Yeah. And he just stood up and he pointed at him and he said, shame, shame <laughs> on all of you. Look at you. Look at you in your suits <laughs> sitting there with well-paid jobs. This young fella here giving it a go, employing people, making but. Surely you could have approached him. You could have done something, right? Yeah. You could have done it. No, you've got to resort to this bloody legal uh, just to just to, to kill off a great business. And, you know, and he just went on and on. It was just beautiful. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It could have been it's like the Constitution. Not the house, the home. <laughs> yeah, that's All right. this stuff. <laughs> so the, the commissioner, he just said, look, enough's enough. And he asked me, he said, yeah. what, what do you think? I said, look, I've, I've really messed this up. I'm sorry. Um. Yep, if I'd had my time again, I would have tried to do something different, but here, you know, we're here. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you one month to find a new premises. You need to come back mm-hmm. to the court, submit that you've got a lease for a new premises, um, and I'm going to lay it operate out of your shed for another uh, a month. At all hours or not? Oh, well, I suppose probably, and try not to be noisy. Well, I, don't, I can't remember that bit. <laughs> Well, that was a massive loss yeah. for the Brighton Council guys and yeah. the le- and the legal team. They yeah. was, excuse me, whatever they just this is ridiculous. This is out. So they were trying to shut you down, but yeah, immediately that in immediately that, in that in that uh, that's amazing session. They they wanted cease and desist, whatever you call it. That day, how many letters had come your way? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I just know that big thick one eventually got me right. And 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 David got up and we're high fiving. I think we had a hug. <laughs> These guys are pissed off. A big hug, uh, and then we just went straight down Goodger Street because Moore's building's there yeah. near, near Hilton, and we just went into the first Chinese restaurant we found and got <laughs> bloody blind drunk and celebrated the greatest win. Did you, did you see their faces? Did you see their faces? That's brilliant. We won, you know, and it was so cool. Was so, that even his legal uh, expertise yeah, in that area? Yeah, he's yeah. barrister, commissioner. Yeah. No, but in that business space? Like, yeah, he was know, a business lawyer. So you could have been a family lawyer for all you no, know. No, well, <laughs> I could have got a Dennis Denudo and I didn't. Yes. I got the bloody – and David was – he just loved a victory, right? And, That's and, and then we become quite good friends and he, he then helped me as a business mentor. So, you know, through my story there's always an event that leads yeah. you to a relationship. Yeah, 100%. That will lead you to a to – a, um, you know, and he, he actually become like an interim chair. Of Sage, brilliant in the early days. So where to from there then? So you, you found us. You found a place. You've got. Yep. Um, <coughs> how did I? Melrose Park, uh, Bennett, Bennett Avenue, Melrose Park. But this is where your whole um, philosophy comes unstuck, right? I got I got free rent in a shed. Mm. I'm flat out. I've got low costs. Yeah. And then I have to look at what the rent costs. Yeah. Are. It was like bloody thirty five grand or something. Going, oh shit, this is overheads. Yeah. So now. 
I'm getting the school of tough knocks yeah. coming, hitting me. Well, now I've got this massive rent bill. Shit, I'm going to have to even work harder. Mm. And then I had to get a bloody bookkeeper and you know what I'm saying. It, it started the whole journey of yeah. I've, I've dodged, you know, I was trying to do this under the radar yeah. uh, backyard of business, which I loved. Now I'm actually having to stand up as a proper, as a, as a proper business. And you're putting your big boy pants on. So do you, um, do you, at what point do you realise actually I could, now that I'm here I could keep growing it? What does that look like? Well, the premises were pretty big. Yeah. Right? And I knew I'd paid a lot of money and, and A&J Electrical, they'd come in and shared yeah. premises. That's the guys that we'd joined yeah. with, to, you know, partnering. To so subleasing. And Subleased a bit. Yeah. And, yeah, it was game on then. It was game on. So I've got a lawyer. Yeah. Still had an accountant. <laughs> I've now got a big bloody premises. Your professional firm. And I think, um, you know, we went from seven people to 14. I still remember our revenues going one million in the first year from the back shed, then it was two, then 2.6. Yeah, really? So a million out of the back shed? million out of the back shed, then it was two, 2.6. Is that including all the the hardware or is that just pure? No, 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 it's including the hardware. It's it's gross. Yeah, 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 gross, yeah. And that was the, in those early days we were flying, 5.2, 7, 9, 11, 15, 20, but with that, it just increases the people. So seven's gone to 14, it's gone to 30, gone to At what, what point did you look at pricing straight, like all the above? Did you? Uh, eventually. I mean, well, David Johnson was there to help us set up a bit of an advisory board yeah. to work out that, you know, what's our profitability, which was terrible. <laughs> I, was a, I was a classic entrepreneur, wouldn't listen, reinvestment, yeah. run thin on cash. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally no knowledge of business in terms of strategy, finance. I heard like was it the first six, seven years that you didn't have a strategy at all? It was nah, just, it was just, just <laughs> work flat out and do a great job. Yeah. <laughs> and were profits good though? Well, our gross profit was probably okay, yeah. but we were just, just growing at such a rapid clip. We were just spending was, everything. Yeah, okay. So, so if I look back financial now. Financial management, wasn't it? To be honest with you, you know, we probably should have gone broke. Yeah. Probably on multiple occasions, <laughs> but we didn't, and, and that was because because well, the work was there. The work was there, mm. and and the people were just incredible, and and we worked as a team, mm. you know. And so it was, mm. but it was like everything we did was to achieve greatness and automation. It wasn't about profit. No. It was about winning, and yeah. it was about being the best we could be. And my biggest competitor, unbelievable. They'd, they'd been in business for twenty six years. They were quite. I, I treated them a bit like Port Adelaide. <laughs> what was I, the, What was the business? Graphic electronic industries. Yeah. And they'd been in business for 26 years and I just went for them like a vicious dog. You know, with just every job that they bid, we underbid it. We just like a marauding pack of dogs, right? <laughs> and they, they rolled over. They they tipped themselves into an involuntary, uh, voluntary administration in 1999. So I got my first scalp, right? That yeah. was like a corporate. Were you high fiving then too? <laughs> David Johnson with me, Bulldog. <laughs> by then we called him Bulldog. He was instrumental, so we bought the business. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So your biggest competitor and biggest competitor, bought most them. successful in South Australia. There's no doubt about that. And whatever they did behind the scenes didn't work. We ended up buying the phone number and the business name for fifty five grand or something. And everyone that worked there hated me, so no one joined except for one person. The rest is history. But you got all their kit and everything. I got all their every job file, the drawings, the customer base, the phone number, of course, the yeah. business name. You just needed to find the uh, find the people to do the work. That's right. And no one from that firm would join us except for one guy called Sam and he bought, bought Longyear to us. So we got, at the end of the day, 
It was. It was what year was that? 94 19, you started. 1999. So in five years you're buying, you sunk your biggest competitor and you bought, bought them out. Absolute fact. I've still got it somewhere. I've got the, I've got the business certificate of their name. Did you know what you were doing at that point? I mean, it's still. But once again, this is where you get a good mentor. David yeah. Johnson yeah. In was, your living, was living his entrepreneurial life through, <laughs> through me. Through you. You know, and he's, <laughs> Without he's, the he's, risk. Now, he's, now the, <laughs> he's now the chairman of the board type of thing or yeah. interim chairman of the board. The, the four key shareholders in those days was, um, you know, Jason, Sam, um, Paul, Markwick and Adrian Fay. Mm. So they'd already become the glue around yep. me. They were, they were the lieutenants. Yeah. So they could see what And they we're all bought in? Yep, was Bulldog Johnson said, "Hey, we're going to create a public unlisted company. Why don't we create some shares? We needed cash. These guys go home and talk to their wives. They've yep. mortgaged their houses to put money. They all mortgaged their house just they all, to they all trusted you in your vision. Well, trust well, or not trust or, yep, they did. Just why not? And I was very generous. I think I, the share valuation was like I licked my finger and depending on the <laughs> on the on the breeze that day, I came up with a number, <laughs> and uh, it was a pretty good number." You had an accountant. <laughs> oh, I think I'd sacked <laughs> oh, him by then. And the tax department were chasing me. So it's another story, right? <laughs> really? I, I, I had to switch accounts. Yeah. yeah, the tax. But off we went. And that's when, yep, great relationship with Grant Thornton started at about 2000. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, in the, I was in the proverbial over some. That's one thing I think all entrepreneurs uh, overlook is the, you think, I'm making money, I'm making money. Shit, I get to give half of it back, really, don't you? That's right. And, but it, look, it always comes down to where do you get your advice yeah. and who are you listening to? And once I, you know, I've, I've built great relationships over some of these things, but, yeah, I was I was seriously in strife with the ATO over some dodgy superannuation buddy scheme, right? Yeah. But we fixed it all up. Yeah. And that's what I'm... Is that because you weren't opening your letters again? Or was no, 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 no. <laughs> this time I, I opened the letters and it said... <laughs> And I helped, you know, uh, Will Marriott from CCK in those days, he helped me out. And then uh, we changed accountants to Grant Thornton, which we've still got today. So you, what happens is through the, uh, I suppose, the ignorance, but you slowly start to to work stuff out. You need a good accountant yeah. that's that's um, going to play by the rules. You need a good lawyer. Yeah. You have to have even an advisory board to help you guide mm. guidance. You've got to start bringing in processes and systems, and that's the journey. Yeah. Right. Now, some don't make it. I feel sorry for the little guys that don't make yep. it. We probably statistically shouldn't have made it. Yep. But once you do work out what's going on, you just build. Well, there's two two things. You build the best advisors, but you also bring the best people you Hopefully. can find that, you know, that complement your weaknesses. Yeah. And that was been a philosophy from, really, from back shit on. Was was that just so? You know, in this story. Um, we're at 2000, I've got four new shareholders, we've got a little uh, advisory board, we're probably hitting around about, I don't know, must be about 17 million by then or something and 35 staff. I just remember some of those loose numbers. Yeah, yeah. But we're off and we're... And what point did you go, actually this is, this is something we can scale? Okay, there's, I understand it's not just one day, right? But did you ever go? Did you ever think, shit? I could take this thing Australia wide. I could take this thing globally. Probably not. Probably not. There, there is a turning point, and I will. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute because it happened in two thousand and two. But um, oh, we're having fun. We mm. were making enough money, mm. but we were winning. And mm. I think there's a great, there's a great, it's a sport analogy mm. or whatever. 
You know, that's where Port Adelaide were good. They won a lot of premiership. Mm. We were winning premiership year after year because mm. we were growing, we were knocking our competitors around and we were making a name for ourselves. Yeah. And we just kept doing, doing good quality work. By the always. Yeah. There's one thing we never, ever, ever, ever compromised was quality. Mm. Unfortunately, you're doing it at probably lower price too to get the market share. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if I had my time again, you'd, you wouldn't do it that way. But that was how we did it. Mm. Excellent quality. Best in class. And, so um, you're saying now you're 700 plus people, 200 odd, you know, million. projected and you just, I wouldn't do it the same way? No, because I think you've got to learn from your, your past. Yeah. Uh, there's a very powerful thing in business is learning to say no. Yeah. Right. But we always said yes. Yeah. And I think uh, after 30 years in business, there's more no's. Mm. You just don't keep well, chasing. Well, that reached the point. I think that... That's all based on circumstance, right? Like, I mean, it's the, in hindsight. The, the Richard Branson quote is say yes to everything and then figure it out later. And you do that in your early part. It's exactly what we did. Yeah, correct. Said yes to everything. You get some bloody shitty customers along the way and you get taken here and there. But the, the overriding thing was positive. Mm. And you, you, you picked up some great customers we've still got today. You know, companies like Treasury Wines and mm. people like that are still with us from the days of South Corp. You've got a um, situation where the automotive industry closed mm. in Australia, right? Mm. So, you know, if we didn't get out of if we didn't diversify early, we wouldn't have had a business if we'd stuck to automotive. So, yeah, there's a bit of you make your own luck. Yeah. The harder you work, luckier you get, that type of thing. Yeah. So I think it was in 2003 or four that we decided to set up in Melbourne. That was harder than we thought. Mm. There's a long story there. But if I can go back to 2002, David Johnson – who used to fucking he used to sit up at night thinking about Sage and I love him for that. Yeah. And he goes, Andrew, you're not going to believe it. There's this thing in America called the Control System Integrators Association. I said, really? Because mm. I was surprised as well. He said, that's that's the industry you're in, and mm. they're having a conference in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I said, well, shit, I better go. So I just hopped on a plane, went to the US. Didn't have any idea what Myrtle Beach would even be like. Right. I thought it was like a little country town. It's yeah. actually like the Gold Coast. Got to, got to this conference and there's 90 um, companies just like Sage. Mm. I can't believe it. And what I worked out was the size we were then, we sat in like the top 5% of the US companies. Yeah, wow. And then I go on to become, you know, we haven't missed a conference. Um, you know, the, 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 there's 600 members now. But that that was a big turning point for me to say, hang on, Adelaide's not a backwater. Mm. We're not just a small, insignificant firm, even by a US standard. Yeah. That give us confidence to say we can really – because that was a turning point for me. Yeah, okay. We can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and we benchmark. So we, we stuck with that CSIA, become friends with companies. And it, I can't emphasise enough how Australian companies – don't seem to get out of their own backyard and mm. look elsewhere at the globe. Mm. So give us confidence, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask this question about that—the experience that you get. I and mean, then you've done Harvard courses and overseas, like you've done yeah, a lot later in life. Yeah. But you've spent time around the world looking. How do you, what, what's your suggestions to those who can't actually afford to do that? Well, I, 
I'd, I'd probably go back to the David Johnson example. Mm. Find a good mentor. Mm. And, you know, you talked before I'm on seven-plus boards. Yeah. The boards I love working with the most are the, are the, the smaller companies that yeah. are just getting started. Yeah. So, you know, you can provide guidance. You can provide, you know. Yeah, correct. So, so, so <coughs> what I've learned in my life, I can give back. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just – it just makes me it's, – it's, it's my happy place mm. is helping people in that, in that regard. So my advice to those people is find an Andrew Downs, find, find a Daniel – Find find someone who's mm. been there, done that, and they're going to be in their in their later years. Yeah, because there's lots of bloody grey hairs out there that probably are underutilized mm. to come in and say, "Well, how did you do things? What happened?" Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think the, the, the most beautiful thing about this podcast is the quality of people that I get to connect with on a week to week basis, and I can just pick their brains. So, you're hundred percent right. Find uh, find yourself good people to hang around and. And learn from. You're only as good as the people that you employ or hang well, around. Well, I think there there is actually a statistic is that your average wage is equivalent of the five people is an average, sorry, of the five people that you hang around. So if you total up all their their wages, okay. your, yours yeah. will be there's there is a statistic to prove that to be uh, true. Um, so you got a bunch of guys, a bunch of team, a big team, growing, making lots of money, traveling the world. Things are happening. Yep. You're knocking off supply. Uh, you're knocking off comp competitors. Yep, and we are. Yep. You're winning premierships. What is the What is the next phase? Like, there's at some point you think, right? Oh, no, no, we hit a we hit a big speed bump. You hit a right? speed bump. So 2003, we'd we'd gone into Victoria. That was that was harder than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to take one of our Paul Markwick. Yep. You know, one of the one of the main shareholders. He basically. Uh, you know, you got you got to think back of the sacrifice he made. He sold his beautiful home here in Wayville. Yep. Goes to Victoria, gets a house there, and sets up the Melbourne office. And he's still there today, right? But what I'm saying is, these are the because they, they they take the culture with them and the passion, yeah, and the drive. So yep. it's nothing to do with me. Mm. It's to do with the people that yep. want to see you succeed as well, right? Yep. And and now I think Melbourne office is bigger than the Adelaide one, and blah blah blah. But um. So yes, we kept growing. Uh, we'd acquired other little businesses and bits and pieces, but but Adrian Fay, who had come from another, you know, quite successful larger company, yep. he had strong management capability. And you know, you'd have to ask Adrian in a podcast one day why mm. he would join a ramshackle bloody joint like yep. Sage, yep. but he did, and I, and and he actually took a demotion from his previous job to mm. be like the BD guy. Okay. So he's running around with BD, we're travelling bloody Australia, looking at wineries and having a great time. But I worked out that, do you know what, Adrian and I, we're very good friends until and still to this day, but two distinct differences in our in our, uh, our qualities of of management. Yep, I'm I'm big picture, um, hate detail. Mm-hmm. Adrian's very good at detail and process. Yep, and I just. I just woke up one day, it was 2007, and I said, do you know what? I hate being the CEO. Well, mm. I suppose I was. I was a self-imposed CEO. Mm. I hate this. But, Adrian, you'd be really good at it. So I said, mate, why don't you become the CEO? I'll become the managing director, and off we go. Brilliant. And he said, yep, I'm in. And he's, today Adrian's the managing director and CEO. And CEO. But um, that's what happened. Were and you ever... Were you ever um Concerned having hanging handing over the reins. See, this all comes down to the quality of people. Yeah, 
there'd be case studies after case studies where that yeah. had blown up in someone's face yeah, or even, even bringing in shareholders. Yeah, correct. I've heard so many horrible stories about that. <coughs> so it comes down to quality of people, I suppose, trust. I suppose, you know, just just run with your gut. Yeah. So Adrian's performed incredibly well. So where do we hit the speed bump? To go to that is 2008. Yeah. So poor old Adrian. He always says my timing is incredible yeah. when you hand over the reins because we've just got into this. Global financial it's, it's It was for a business like Sage at our, at our point in time, it was the perfect storm. Yeah. It was black October. Um, I mean the world was in a spiral. There's no mm. doubt about that. And even your good customers, <coughs> your most solid customers, had stopped placing orders mm. for a couple of weeks. So, I mean, basically you're done. Mm. No so thanks you live to, in that much. No often. thanks to the ANZ Bank. Yeah. <laughs> but they just tipped us straight from relationship banking into bad bank. Yeah, wow. And then we had a investigative, investigative audit done on us and um, – and that was all about live or die. I mean, whatever the investigative audit showed up was whether you got support from the bank or not. It was as simple as that. And you had to pay to get it done. So you got yeah. no money. You pay 70 grand and that's it. So um, and that's where we met Bruce Carter, yeah. who I'm very happy to say is our current chair. Yeah. a long story there. But it was Bruce's firm that came in and did the audit. Okay. And when you work, and I'm, look, that's why I feel for a lot of businesses that do maybe have a, uh, a situation where it's terminal, it come down to that for us. It yeah. was an, a meeting on a given day. This is make or break. Make or break. Shareholders are sitting there. Bruce is the other end of the table. And, and it's, it's a Julius Caesar moment. It is. It's, it's feed him to the lions or yeah, thumb up, thumb, thumb down. Up. It was, it's, I'll never forget it. Never forget it. And you got the thumb up. We did. But I'm, look, you just have to understand that's that's a point in time where it's all over. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. It's tipped into well, administration, liquidation, everything you work for. And I vowed and declared, but like when I fucked up, I said at school, yep. I vowed and declared I'll never take the company to that level again. You know, we had – and it's the bank's fault. It's not our fault. Mm. They just – in those days, they give you too much debt. Mm. Debt's good. Debt's good. No worries. Off you go. Debt's good. Then they have this crisis – they suddenly reverse all their policies. Debt's bad. So we restructured, we paid all the debt down, got a new bank. Yeah. And off we go again. But, so but what I can't was, emphasize what, enough the stress and the and the and just I don't know. You you you're watching your your life's work flash before your eyes. Yeah. I can I can feel the pain, right? It, it is it is the biggest fear of any any entrepreneur. The the, the very thing that you've created is about to die. Mm-hmm. What what was it like when you got the thumb up? Like, oh well, you know, I mean, it wasn't just it was elation and yeah. relief, but it was also okay. What's next? Yeah, what do I need to do? Right, we got to pay down debt. Mm. We got like five million debt. Mm. There's a program. You got to pay down debt. You got to start focusing on profitability. Mm. You know, it was a. It's it's just as hard as it was. It also changed us as a company. Yeah. You know, yeah, you you couldn't be as um, cavalier with the with the entrepreneurialism and you know the the old we talked about skunk works and black mm. ops. Mm. You just had to pull up on some of that stuff be, did, and be more accountable, more reporting. You got your bank in the business. You know, mm. bad bank means you've got a monthly meetings. You you know how are yeah, you progressing? 
Yeah. What does that do in your personal health? No, at it's, that you point? know what? I handled that okay, and yeah. I, I got a theory there. When you've got guys in the trenches with you, yeah, it just takes a lot of that pain away. Mm. So it wasn't just me; it was me and the other shareholders. Yeah. Actually, I heard you. I heard you have a motto on that. When other people's money is involved, is I, that? I got it. That's so true, and and yeah, I, I think you only know the true character of a person in a situation when their money's involved. Mm. So you can have a conversation with someone where their money's not involved. They'll have an opinion about this or that. Oh, I know that. Now you put your hard earned mm. into that decision, your life savings, and you watch that change. Person change their opinion. First change. Yeah. Oh no, I'm out. This is bullshit. You know, we, look what you've done. Yeah. You've destroyed my life. Those guys never did. Mm. We all stuck together, and um, you know, I think hopefully we've made a, a lot of wealth for those shareholders that are stuck with us. Mm. So, at what point do you feel like was it at Adrian's uh, uh, introduction to CE that you felt like all right? We're, and then obviously this GFC, um, which, which was a pivotal point, two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that when you go, right, it, it's just all professional from here, strategy, the whole works? Pro- probably more so, more yeah. structure. Yeah. Uh, of course, we go off and set up a whole pile of things that don't work, like Sage Capital and Sage Didactic. And, you know, there's still some um, entrepreneurial building a, yep. a business. Yep. But, but some of that's worked out too. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think the balancing of risk was the, was the lesson. Yeah. Don't sell the farm. Don't ever get to the point where, you know, you might make bad decisions, but hopefully that decision just doesn't tip you over. So risk has never worried me. Never. No. Never. Just don't want to lose the farm, not now. Well, I guess it's probably topical given the fact that there's this talk of this potential recession coming right now. Yep. What's your advice, having gone through something and almost hitting the wall? Well, you know, I look back at COVID. We didn't know what was going to happen in COVID. Mm. And we just went onto a war footing. We had everything ready. We, you know, we we looked at um, uh, reduction of people's you know, senior guys. Mm-hmm. Everyone chipped in, ready for the storm. But it didn't really happen. COVID mm-hmm. actually ended up okay. Yeah. Um, we'd be in the same mind now. What's going to happen? But we, you know, our business is now focused a lot on um, critical infrastructure, things like that. So we haven't seen a downturn mm. yet. And. I suppose we've got to get confident. Doesn't mean we're not cautious. Yeah, looking, you know, looking at cash, looking at money, looking at yeah. the number of people. I think, I think we're still looking for forty people nationally. So it's not yeah. like we've stopped employing, but, but, one eye on the economy. You still got to do your job. Yeah. If you're winning work, it would be stupid to sort of like go into your shell mm. and not attack the work. So. And you've got it. you've got a very intelligent human being in your in your team right now, Beck Humble, who does believe that there is a recession coming in the next twelve to twenty four months. Yeah, and I, I I try to keep as close to Beck as I can. Yeah, that information. Yeah. So what what does a company with that armed with that knowledge have to do? Just well, like exactly as you said. Just so this is the key about having a, a, a high performing board as well, mm. right? So you know you've got Bruce Carter as our chair. Yeah. We've got a lot of experience on our board. And they can only just look at the numbers that we give them. Yeah. And at the moment, I'd say Beck's role, as as we've had many discussions, is how can we be the best company we can be? Mm. The best structure, the best, yeah, um, best in class. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm sure she'd be the first to agree. If the work's there and you're working for sovereign defence 
capability or if it's a recession areas and if it's a large tunnel mm. we, we'll bid the tunnels here for example yep. I don't believe they're gonna that those jobs will not 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 happen mm. and you're dealing with um, uh, contractors that will be secured by by, by government so yeah now if we're in uh, a consumer area and you'd already see pullback of course we'd have to change that mm. so I think we've moved into those solid areas of business yeah which is great, and that's I think that's your advice because it, it's funny. I since I caught up, it's when you and I um, were chatting, and where I, when I had that catch up with Beck, it's since then that's been front and center of me in my mind, I should say. And I've actually asked that question a lot on the podcast since. Yeah, you know, ask Alfie and Ello. I had Craig Whitten from North Lion and just yeah, people yeah, in the Craig, yeah. and and they're all quite positive in saying we'd have to be the same mm, as we sit here. Yeah. Now. Quite yeah, awesome. that it's actually uh, it's looking better than what we thought it was. So I think that's exciting, but obviously just yeah. to make sure. And, and I just want to make it really clear that I don't do any of that. Like I don't run. I sit on the board. Mm. Uh, I'm, of course, oh yeah, hundred percent. Of course, I keep very close to the company, and it's it's you know it's, it's your baby in some respects, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's Adrian and the executive management team. Beck's part of that. Yeah, who who run the business? You know, and I'm, I've, it's it's in their hands, and I I have implicit trust in them. So you're you're growing, you're growing Australia wide now. Yep. You yep. got the eye on the global market. <laughs> One thing that I know to be true, right? And you might you might uh, you might have a different opinion, but I think uh, I'm going to be on the money with this. Is that the 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 trade world, the blue collar world, mm-hmm. tends to look at things like culture and leadership as a bit of a as a bit of fluffy talk, mm-hmm. but yet. It's something that you are very, uh, very focused on, on creating the right culture and creating a great place to work. I've got a few questions within this and I want to start with this. It seems like since day one, ever since starting Sage, you have been able to get discretionary effort from your team and the people who work under, the, under your brand What's what's the magic pill? Like how do you um, how do you create that world where people want to do more? Because you're bringing people on a journey. Mm. I honestly believe the people that I would work with know that I've already said I can't do it. Or I, So I think there's got to be a, a level, uh, an element of humility in saying I can't do this without you. Mm. You know, I think this is where a lot of founders will make the mistake that they're the God's gift of everything. Yeah. Look, let's do this and then people see you know what, we can do this together. It's a team. Yeah. It's not I, I, I. It's actually, it's a team. So you'll get people jump in and they will do their best efforts to make that thing work. Yeah. It could be a it could be a new sector. It could be, I remember getting into defence, you know, Phil Cornell and Paul Johnson just got on a plane and banging on Navantia's door because they just believe that's what they should do. Mm. It's not like me saying, right, you need to, here's, I've got the notes for what the call should do and, yeah, off you go. Just do what you want right. to do. Just set the prize, set the goal. But it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like people just put in more hours. They put in so much time in helping you and the business grow. It, it, look, I, I can't deny that's probably, and that's why you know these people are so loyal and, mm. and great people. But, but I, I'd say because. Because there's one, you know, I think there's one word I hate is bureaucracy. Mm. And 
unfortunately, you have to have a level of bureaucracy as you grow. You have mm. to. Yeah. But good people that are well-intentioned, if you can put less bullshit in the way mm. and if you can let them do what they what they really aspire to do without, you know, they used to say, um, uh, you know, strict on strategy, loose on control was one yeah. of the things yeah. I run with for a while. Yeah. Just get it done. Yes. Yeah, right. right? I think unfortunately in some organisations now there's so many – so many levels of this manager's got to approve this and approve this and approve that. It becomes demotivating, you know, stuff it. Yeah. Why, why should I work hard? So some – and people do it for themselves as well. Yeah. For their own, yeah, achievement. Mm. Look what I've done and, and that's why Sage has got some great little businesses inside of the big, big, big business which has been done by, you know, very highly passionate, skilled individuals. Yeah. But then they get their own promotion, if you know what I mean. Mm. The harder they work – the more successful they become and they you know and i think the other thing you've got to do in business is recognize people yeah and we've always tried to do that yeah. end of month recognize people hey great job you yeah. know you've done some great work it, so there's a few things in there i want to go back to strict on strategy uh loose control, control in, yeah. in, in a sec but the the part where you said i think it's really an important point for those listening in not as the entrepreneur but those for, for those working within that environment, if you put in, you're almost certain that the, the entrepreneurs or the business owners are going to want you around and take you on that ride. Isn't, is, do you believe that to that, be true? To me that should be the way it happens. Yeah. Unfortunately some people maybe don't see it that way but that's how I see it. Mm. Like the harder someone works, the more they should be given opportunity. Oh, yeah, yeah. So strict on strategy, loose on, on control. That's a very uh, stoic <laughs> um, mindset, right, from someone who seems like has gone through a lot of years of experience. Right. So I'd say that was something maybe in that fast growth period we, from around about 2013, 14, there might have been an element of Harvard in that as well. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's probably changing a bit now too. Yeah. Right? Okay. As you get to seven hundred plus, you gotta. You probably just can't have a whole pile of people just doing just saying we're doing what we're doing. No. So you know you got to put things in context. Yeah. Well, I think the what I'm hearing, and and like you said, probably aimed more towards small to mediums, is that you've got a strategy. This is where we're going. How you get us there is Correct. up to you. Correct. So there's parts of Sage now that still have. Like there's there's leaders that just charge off and do what they believe is right. And mm-hmm. as long as it's strategy is, you've got to make a minimum gross margin. You've got to, you know, you've got to produce quality work, mm. cash flow, yep. certain things that are non-negotiable. Yep. But where you go and get that work, how you do it, what risk you take, you know, we still leave that to those people. Yeah. And and not just like you said, hire great people and. Yeah, look, we all know you can work for large corporates and they'll just make a blanket. No, we're not doing any work in this area anymore. Yeah. Well, that may be true, but maybe there's two or three customers that are still outstanding in that Mm -hmm. area. And I think we've done that well. We're highly diversified, you know, and and, and always looking at our business. But you you never want to throw away great customers. No. Great customers. And they might be in a segment that, is not necessarily your favourite segment, but it doesn't mean not great customers. Yeah. And I think, well, Sage is born, Sage Group now is 
got he's almost the house of brands, isn't it? In the sense, yep. yeah, one of Harvard lesson. Was yeah, the old um, an agent. So the thing with Harvard is, in the I'll give a plug to the Industry Leaders Fund, mm. ILF. Yep, I got awarded to go to Harvard Business School in the OPM program in twenty fourteen. I think it was. I got so much value from that. What's the point of me having that knowledge? Adrian Fay, he applied um, to the ILF. He got accepted. He did it in 2016. And then our CFO, uh, Dion Draper, uh, did the AMP, which is the equivalent. That's a big one. That's, that's, is, yeah. is, that's it, it's intensive. the same course content, probably okay. a little bit more intense. More I think intensive, they, yeah. Poor old Dean, they make them work a bit harder <laughs> than the old, uh, the old entrepreneurs one. But, but it's the same course content, but it's about a nine-week intense. Yeah. So the philosophy there was these things aren't cheap. I mean, that's mm. 200 grand plus. Mm. Yeah. And thank you to the ILF for, for 20, 25 grand. Yeah. You've still got to make a commitment that you're away from your business for three months. Mm. You've, you've, um, you've got to travel. You've got to get yeah. there. So, so these the, are big the, whole, the, o, the OPM is 200,000. It would be. It's 70, I think, if you know, look on a website, 70,000 US, I think, okay, so it's per year there, and yeah. it's for three years. Yeah, wow. Well, hang on, Martin, be. Maybe I've already converted to Australian yeah, dollars. Yeah. But that's not including your time no. or your airfares or transfer. So, okay. so it's 200 it's a, plus. It's a big investment. Yeah. And I think that's something that if we talk about my life at Sage, never been scared to invest in people. Mm. You know, you've got to invest in people. Yeah, I could have just taken that course myself and said, you know what, I'm a Harvard alum now, fantastic. No, Adrian needed to get the same yeah. experience. So but this goes back to the point of, Traveling overseas and investing meeting people and, and meeting people connecting. Well, well you, I mean, traveling overseas to gain experience, investing in people so that they can grow. It, I mean, you know, I talk on behalf of myself. With I've, I run a small business, but it's the it's the management of cash that sort of stops me from being able to do that. If, if do you know what I mean, like, yeah. well, it's always probably the management of cash is still a problem. It's always the problem, and you know, it, but I'm not. It's it's not without this desire to want to do that. So, how, what's your advice to those trying to bridge that gap? It's just like surely the answer can't always just be just sell more. Like, no, oh, you make an investment, I suppose. Mm. It's, it's it's where you are in your company. So it's where you are in the life cycle of the whole company. Mm. You know, I'd say any of those smaller companies that are trying to give it a go, you throw, you know, you throw everything back in. Mm. It's mm. really interesting when people say, oh, how'd you build such a big company? I'll tell you how. No Porsche, no boat, yeah. no fancy house. It's all mm. went back in the business. Yeah. And then you might see some small businesses and they've got all those things. And I'm going, well, if it was me, that, that money would be going into the business. Yeah. Yeah. Some some can do both, but I think that might be different industries to ours. Mm. Reinvestment, so the reinvestment of education, couple hundred now that couple hundred grand could have gone straight to profit. The reinvestment of education in for Adrian and for Dion, that should come back as a return yeah. on investment. But oh. does it hurt in that year? Bloody oath, it Absolutely does. does. Yeah, right. So I think it's a balancing act about what is return on investment. What yeah. does it look like if you break into a new market? What is the price? If you go to a new location, I'll guarantee you lose money. Yeah. You, you, you sink. I think right. I caught up with a CEO yesterday uh, who had done the same thing. He'd done the AEPM. And he said it was 136 case studies of what not to do and what Correct. to do within Correct. business or something Brilliant. like that. Brilliant. Case study learnings. Um, unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I, I love it. And I'm a, that's the only way I can learn. Yeah, I agree. Just tell me your story. I'll tell you my story. Yeah. What did you learn? When, Real, not blackboard. So, you know, Harvard is case study learning. Hmm. Coke versus Pepsi, buddy, all that stuff. Nokia, Kodak. Oh, yeah. All the good above. and the bad, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you um, 
it's funny, like you just said there, tell me your story, I'll tell you mine. And you've had that philosophy growing this business from day one, haven't you? You like really focus on partnerships. Partnerships is probably the greatest um, difference between our firm and other companies in the like industry is we collaborate, we partner, we just get it. I, I, it's a personal thing. Mm. I get it. Mm. Now, have they all worked out? No. No. And that's a human element there. But does it mean you give up on it? No, because mm. there's always some great. And we've got a mechanical partner at the moment out of Melbourne, just just brilliant. Right? Mm. We, we, we're winning work that we never thought we could win, but we can't win it without them. Yeah, that's fabulous. And it's, it is fabulous. What's the idea? I mean, is it a, how do you how do you go about setting up partnerships, um, consortiums, all the above? Do you think that's the model for a lot of these businesses? A lot of businesses. And I, look, I'm for me and Synergy IQ, the, the business that I run, it's. It's something that I'm absolutely open to and exploring. I mean, we work with change management. You think about the amount of partners that we could partner up with and help organisations. It's, it's incredibly hard. But yeah, either you've got it in your DNA or you haven't mm. and I don't think you can drag people to partnering or collaboration. So you've got to find those who are open. It has yeah. to be. Yeah. I think the first meeting is, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, oh, we'd love to partner with it. Yeah. Then you have the first meeting, well, mate, can you show us your – Oh, can you open up your books and show us how you do your charging? Yeah. Oh, no, I can't show you that. Yeah. Well, guess what? We can't surprise, partner. surprise. Yeah. I can't partner with you. Yeah. You, you have to be. Um, that you know, it's good. Transparency is trust. Mm. Win win. Is is about the end game. Correct. And how we best serve the client. So I reckon fifty percent fall up because they just don't want to. They do. And by the way, when you partner, sometimes you know. There's a shit sandwich involved here as, as well. It doesn't work, or you're doing the heavy lifting for the partner, mm. Mm. and that's okay sometimes because you hope it turns on the next job. Like swinging roundabouts, right? But 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 when it does work, it is absolutely beautiful. It's a mm. concert, and and as I said, I'm going to give a big plug to Automation Innovation out of Melbourne. We, we're winning millions of dollars of work as we speak, which is stuff we cannot do without them, and they can't mm. do it without us. Mm. So hold it up as the best case study that I have. How does one go on a search for working with a partner? Is it just through Mate, the people someone, you meet along the someone way? Someone told me there's a definition in Adelaide, right, and it's not sexist but you look for the good bloke yeah. or the good sheila. I, yeah. I'm just saying yeah. there's got to be this element of yeah. there's a good, he's a good Can bloke. I have a beer with this person? <laughs> it could be have a beer with the person. <laughs> Adelaide is so brilliant for doing yeah. a bit of a network check. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's this uh, what? Daniel Franco like? Yeah. One, I, one degree I, I actually of... haven't checked up on you. Haven't so you? I, I really should have done that. Um, so, yeah, that was you might... yeah. It only hit me a week. You so. might not get some You might not But, but you no, might I, think, I think you use your network. Um, was it in The Tipping Point, which is one of my favourite, favourite books? Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. Gladwell. He said there's three types of people, right? There's connectors, mavens and salesmen. Mm. And and for those that don't know, maven is it's someone who can is an expert or mm. an educator on the subject, right? And I, I don't particularly like salesmen. So I'm a connector. Mm. And that, if you can connect people or be have a skill in that, it's amazing what you can open up in the world. Yeah, I agree. But globally, locally, nationally. I'd say it's probably one of my strongest traits is the connection thing and hence the reason why we're probably sitting here today. Hence the reason why we're here. Yeah, yeah exactly. So the Harvard call, I want to just touch on that for a moment. Leadership. I know for you now and and I don't know what your whole career looked like <laughs> from a leadership perspective. But you go on when did you go on the Harvard course? 
2014 was my first year. 2014. What did what did Andrew Downs, the leader, look like from '94 compared to now? Oh, mate, un, un, probably unprofessional, um, bit raw, bit rough around the edges. Do you think you had the leadership qualities? I mean, you were at Bridgestone. You were leading 40 odd people. Like, do I, you look absolutely? I, yeah. I, I, people don't just follow if you're not a leader. Correct. I wouldn't have been able to get the people to stay. Or so you're saying that you're people process wasn't so great but your visionary was great maybe my people process was great okay well they're still there they're still and, obviously and they're still there. Yeah, that's right but would i pass a hr exam on this <laughs> best methodologies yeah. probably no no they'd say no oh, that's the worst bloody hr manual and by the <laughs> way i'm the worst employer in the world you know I, yeah i i just pick people and yeah. say, yep yep off you go mm. now i've been more right than wrong but i wouldn't be putting myself into a hr role gut feel gut feel do you place much emphasis on gut feel? I, I think, and I ask this question coming from the point of early in this in, in my career, we made some decisions that we went against gut feel. Yeah, and then it absolutely blew up in our face. So we, my business partner Michelle and I, tabled it. Said right, gut feel will be tabled at every single crucial decision of this business. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I want. Gut feels there. I, I have to bring people like Adrian in on yeah, those calls, right? Because yeah. he's got a different yeah, you need gut to, feel to me. Yeah, you need. I want diversity. people. To, one of the it's it's a weakness and a strength. I want people to be successful, so I'll want them. That's why I'm a terrible employer. <laughs> I want you to join. I yeah. want you to be good. Yeah, but there could be some glaring issues. Mm. Um, then every now and then you do meet something, and you believe no, nah, this person is just not right for our organisation yep. or to be a partner or even to be a friend of it. You know, there's just something that's not right. Yeah. But I would typically give people more of a chance than the average person. Mm. And that's worked. Yeah. And then we've had some bloody horror stories too. So There always is. It's part of the learning process. So leadership now, what value – leadership now, what value do you place on that and your leadership skills? Oh, I think uh, – Authentic leadership is where I want to go back to because I reckon how I was in the 94s on yeah. was probably my, my most effective years yeah. and that's because it was unconventional mm. and it was authentic. Mm. And I think as soon as you try to, which I've done, you've, you try to put yourself in a box against all these other great successful leaders, yeah. you, you lose your authenticity and you lose the ability to make the, you know, the, you know, the decisions that you would have made. So I'm probably returning back to the, you know, speak out. Mm. This is what I do. This is me. Not be scared, yeah, not yeah. be scared and say, well, it's it's not for anyone to judge. This is the way you do things. So so within that, so ra- let's wrap up that leadership and culture piece. Remember we talked about culture being the fluffy. Yep. Yep. It seems like from the outside, and look, and we've done some work with Sage and mm-hmm. for Sage, mm-hmm. It seems like you guys are running a really great business over there that, that people want to work and the culture is great there. You promote ambition, you promote resilience, you promote competition, you promote working together, diversity. It seems like you're ticking all the right boxes. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's still area for improvement though? Of course. Yeah, look, one of the Harvard – I mean this is a Harvard thing. I, I think we might even spoke about it. One of the most profound graphs – is, and I've always believed it, yep. Sage has a great culture. 
but do we have a high performance culture? So one of the, it's, it, it was a turning point. Yeah. So the word culture, we're all bloody good mates, back slapping mm. and everything. Mm. But guess what? We're 10% down on GPs mm. compared to the industry. Yeah, this process and but we're all going to have a beer on a Friday yeah. night. Yeah. We're bloody yeah, no worries. Well, culture's not just about fuel, right? It, well, what I'm saying is that could be seen as what a great culture. No one leaves. They're so happy there. We're all bloody you know buying each other beers on a Friday night. Yeah, but then there's that other part of it that you have to look at. It. We are in business. Yeah, and we we have to drive a performance culture. Mm. And there's a, there's a gulf in between. Mm. So when people say culture, I'd say, yep, you can have an amazing culture, but what is the culture you're trying to achieve to get your business Without results, doubt. right? Without doubt. And and unfortunately, the culture you believe is the best may have to take a bit of a back seat while you're chasing a higher performance culture. What's Some f- people will leave, right? They say, oh, that's not the same old day. That's not, that's not the same old downsy. You know, mm. that's, they'll, they'll have to leave mm. right? because you still have to be I mean, you've got shareholders, you've got to, yeah, you've got to achieve. Well, culture is an outcome and you're right. You're 100% right. You design it by what you're actually looking to achieve as a business. So it's, it's, we look at it as sort of split up in three different ways. You've got the form of the business, the flow of the business and the feel of the business, yeah. form, flow, feel. Forming is the vision, the strategy. Why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? The flow is the everyday processes and systems and the way in which we make money. And the feel is the backslapping. It's the, oh, yeah, this is a great culture. I love working with Downsy. I love working with Joe Blow. It sort of split up. I think typically where you find the the lack of high performing is in that uh, flow piece, which is like, shit, we've got 16 signatures to get something over the line. This is a pain in the ass. And also, as you have to become more systematized, some people don't make that either. Mm, Correct. You know, um, I'll, I'll talk very loose. Oh, it's not the same anymore. We've got more paperwork. You know, there's things creep into life. Correct. Right? As much as I probably hate paperwork, you have to have it. Yeah. So yeah. as companies grow or they become, you know, uh, size, it could be size, it could be the industries you're entering in, you've always got to – it's a variable. It's a bit of a moving feast. Yeah. But on the, on the outset, you want to have a great culture where people say, yep, happy to work there, great organization they've got my back if something goes wrong we've had many instances where people have personal issues mm. you do what you do to help them spot on how have you managed yourself and and i i am and you know this of me i am a a person who has um really strong family values so i'm going to ask some questions around mm. how do you believe you've managed your family life how do you – oh, actually, let me ask this. I'll ask this question. How do you realize your visions, right, from a business perspective whilst trying to maintain loving relationships? Uh, you should be answering that question and telling mm. me because that's probably the gap in my whole life. Mm. That's probably my biggest gap mm. is that, um, you know, uh, pursuit of work or pursuit of goals – has burnt through, you know, many relationships and bits and pieces. Not nastily. You know, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter type of thing, and I'm, <laughs> I'm friends with everyone type. Yeah. But, and but have I been a great husband or a partner or whatever? I'd say no, because mm. there's always, there's always a pursuit of 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 sage or yeah. whatever. So, uh, and I haven't had children. Mm. I have two beautiful grandchildren. Um. And I invest heavily in those guys as much as I can. But, no, it, it wasn't it, 
wasn't set up as a goal uh, mm. for whatever reason. Yep. I've got no regrets, by the way, but it just wasn't there that, you know, happily married kids was was a, was a, was this must-do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's a contradiction to what you're saying now and the family values that you had growing up? Probably. Because you, you said yeah, Sunday no, no. dinners and cousins. Can, can and I say family. I'd have to agree with you. Mm. I'd have to agree with you. But it's how, you, it's how you're driven. It's how you become. Yeah. I think, you know. Um, but once again, there's no, there's no regrets. It's not like a, no, I, I, know. I, know, I know lots of people that have, you know, They've gone into the heavily in the family unit and it's all blown up and it's and they're not oh, happy. But yeah, no, I, I, so I'm not making excuses. I'm saying it's I've been happy, sort of like taking a lead. Well, you can only play this. the cards you dealt, right? Like you dealt with these cards now, and there's no point. Yeah, you you do you uh, you live the life that you've got. Do you do you are you now placing more emphasis on that family side? Look, probably. I'm just saying. I just hit sixty. I call it the last quarter, right? Using yeah. the AFL <laughs> analogy, you know, there's a the last quarter. Um, I'm, I'm just uh, enjoying life at the moment. Yeah. Okay. What what what's the um, what does the next ten or so years look like for Andrew? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think uh, because I'm not actively involved in an executive capacity at Sage. Yep. Um, there isn't. There is a. There's a new chapter there for sure. Mm. And it might be working with some of these other smaller companies, still ambassador for Sage, yep. still doing all the great work there. But, yeah, it, actually exciting. Exciting as I don't know. Yeah. And it, and it could be that there might be another little business opportunity there. I don't think I'm going to be the person that says golf on Wednesdays, yeah. um, you know, having a cup of tea on a Monday morning at, <laughs> at nine. I don't think that's me. But You love the business side too much. It's not so much if, if you don't enjoy it, then don't do it. Yeah. But I think if you can if you can find the right people with the right um, uh, characters and personalities and, and, and it's just so enjoyable. Mm. It, it's great. Now, don't ask me to sit down and write massive emails or anything because I won't do it. No. But if it's having lunch or, or mentoring or doing something, then, yeah. then 100%. You're all in. And I'd be there to the day I You're die. The, it's the connector in you, isn't it? That's what I've worked out. Yeah. Thank you, Malcolm. Malcolm yeah. Gladwell. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. The um, the Ford projection on Sage. Where do you think that's going to end up? And well, and, and out of curiosity, why haven't you looked at selling or anything like that? Well, because at the moment. Um, We've been flat out trying to reach a goal. So our strategic yep. target was to get to 200 and something million. Yep. We grew it from 100 to 200, a lot quicker than it took us to get yeah. to 100, trust me. And and at the moment, and with Beck coming on board as well, yep. it's let's have a bit of a breather and see where where we can really take the, the future of Sage. Mm. So, you know, I think I think we're just we're focusing on, a, you know, being the best company we can be. Yeah. I said that before. Now, what happens from there? It could be an acquisition in the US. It could be, it could be a number of things. So it's continual growth. I mean, like you said, you, you, you're reviewing your strategy. You, you know, slowing down slightly, but yeah. with the with the with the eye on growth still. That's right. But at the moment, maybe a bit of a spell. Consolidation. Consolidation, and then off to grow again, in some way or form. Mm. So whether that's with another partner, you know, yeah. I've talked about partnering. Yep. So much. It might be that we find the perfect partner to go and do something bigger or better. I don't know. 
Brilliant. Now, well, I am conscious of your time. One last question before we jump into some quick fire questions. Is there, um, is there anything that you would do differently looking back? I mean, you said no regrets. Yeah, but you know what? I, I did. I, I had a tech, tech meeting yesterday yeah. and I did say, I reckon the number, what I'd do differently is certainly have more respect for sales process or the, I mean, we just, we just innately sold. Mm. We just went out and delivered great work for customers. But I think, um, and I might have mentioned before, I'm doing a bit of work with Ben from Marketers. Yep. And I'm Love just, I'm, I'm like a sponge at the moment to mm. learn what he's done because if we could have understood our customers better, we probably could have delivered more at a higher margin and created a win-win. Mm. I think, I think it's, it's, it's a blind spot for a lot of businesses. They yeah. just say, I've got this product and they push it to the customer. Mm. I think if you could learn the black art of understanding a customer's wants and needs and then translating it back into your business, that, that would have been transformational. Agreed. And one of the things would be learning to say no. Mm. Um, I did another podcast on the stories. <laughs> but sometimes saying no is the most powerful thing you can do rather than discount and carry on and, you know, and it, it, it's about getting that cost versus value. Yeah. So maybe that's the thing I should have said. Understanding cost versus, versus value. value from a customer's perspective because mm. if they just think you're about cost, we shouldn't work for them. Yeah. And by the way, if they can't see value, they shouldn't use us. So that one, I wish I had more um, EQ around that, but that would be the only thing. I mean, you know. So, so sometimes the biggest failures we've had have been the best lessons. So you don't, don't. Yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat with my own business now. It seems to me, and it seems like a pattern that if you if you aim to grow quickly, then cost, cost becomes a big factor in that. It's like I need to try to get in as much work as possible. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, look, I think the moment you focus on profit as the outcome. Mm. You've lost the, you've lost the plot in a way, right? Yeah. I, I think, I think profit can't. You can't. T- you can turn it. You could. You know. You can take the Tim Tams out of the boardroom and you get rid of the bottled water and make everyone drink out of a <laughs> yeah. tap, right? That that's cost. Or, or, but if you keep doing the right things, I think I quote Donald McGurk or something. Yeah. You know, from Codan. If you keep doing the right things with the right intensity, yeah. Eventually they'll, eventually it'll work. Yeah. And the profit will come. Yeah. So I think anyone that just flicks a lever and says we're now focused on profit and cost, mm. I, I personally, I that's not my. Yeah. Now I do believe that businesses have to do that and yeah. everything else, but you know it's a it's a bit of a cultural issue as well. Mm. So yeah, profit's important, but do you do it at all cost and maybe have a negative impact on your business? Yeah. Jury's out. Yeah, I love that. Um, Don McGurk is no longer Codan. He, no, correct. Uh, <laughs> he's actually Red Arc <laughs> he's now. Red, he's working with Anthony, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, got him on the show coming up uh, well, as well. Yeah, he's one of his quotes. Right? He's an absolute superstar. In the, yeah, absence right. of, in the absence of results, you know. Right um, things, right intensity. Keep doing the right things with the right intensity yeah. and it'll work out. Yeah, I love it. Beautiful. All right, just some quick questions. Um, actually, one more question. What excites you about the future? The whole – look, the market that Sage is in yeah. is it's just – I mean, sometimes you pick markets that are in a decline or something. We're in this new digital world. Yeah. So the opportunities for Sage just keep growing. I mean, they, it's it's really like a 
Pandora's box or something. Like it, we, we don't know where we could yeah. end up. But, you know, the whole digital world is exciting. People you need to automate. You're standing it's, there with open arms. It's, yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's a lot. We've probably never had more opportunity than we've, than we've got now in the businesses that we can impact. Isn't that on. exciting that you're at the size and scale that you are and there's more opportunity coming? Yeah, well, and it's picking the opportunities now. Yeah. You know, which horse do we back? And as a company like mine who you're looking, you're continually looking for opportunity, at what, at what point do you think it starts to turn? Uh, time. Look, yeah. I think there's, you have a strategy it takes time, then you have to just revisit it. Mm. But let's face it, in your type of business, you've got to follow the money flow, right? Mm. Willingness to pay mm. yeah. is a big thing. Yeah. And I think that really um, that helps us make decisions too. Yeah. You know, you don't go to a sector that can't afford it. Yeah, correct. And if you've got sectors that can afford it, um, they will pay for quality and mm. then that sits in our wheelhouse. Yeah. Versus, you know, banging your head against the wall saying, we've got the best quality but they don't want to pay it. Yeah. That, that'd be you too. Yeah. Yeah. It is often a, something we say. It's like we kept – because there are a lot of players in the market that just go straight to price, right? Like we just want to win volume and work. And yeah, we can't do that anymore. Though. Yeah. I might have started that way. Yeah. But we're at the we, – we don't do that because we know what our value is. But then in the same token you have the you know, the thought processes, well, everyone else is doing it. So yeah. – and they're winning work. Go back in a cost and value. Yeah, correct. 100%. Exactly. Rightio, beautiful. Let's go into some quick fire questions before we uh, we round up. So we're, we are big readers here. Do you read much? You... I, look, when I fly, I read a hard copy. Yeah. Have to. Yeah. But I do a lot of audio books now. Yeah. Perfect. So what are you reading, listening to right now? Well, I've just finished, you know, I think from a, from a, uh, from a personal point of view, the best book I've just finished is Die With Zero. Die With Zero. By Bill Perkins. And that has fundamentally changed my view of life. And um, it, that, as it says, so Die just With Zero. Spend it all. Get, well, spend <laughs> it, give it away, do what you've got to do Enjoy before all. you're dead. Yeah. Right. And that includes setting up families and grandkids. But yeah. And, and it's a great read for those out there that There's, have um, a different. I mean, I think the philosophy used to be those, he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, this is a different philosophy. I, uh, I'll say this because it came to my mind. There's a butcher down the road from us, from my house, down at Henley Beach, and he says, mate, there's no there's no trailer in the back of the hearse. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, absolutely. And someone quoted something the other day. He says, listen, boys, we're, never, we're, we're not going to get out of this alive. Yeah. So, yeah. That's right. But all is is doing some things and, and experiences is, experience is are more important than than the material asset. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What's one book that you feel stands out from the crowd? Like what's one that you've recommended more than anything else? Uh, look, I've done a few recently. Um, you've got your old favourites, you know, Scaling Up mm. and Harnish and you've got Good to Great by mm. Jim Collins. But I, I just finished that book Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Yeah. You know, and to me that's that modern, mm. the modern engagement, where yep. we're going, where we're moving. Yep. I mentioned Gladwell's Tipping Point. I think that was yeah, just a brilliant yeah. book. So uh, like everything, I, I get as many recommendations as I can. Mm. I just don't, you know, finding time to do it. Yeah, correct. Audio is the, is the best way. Peter Till's Zero to One was one of the first books I read when I started this business. It's like, yeah, it's been foundational. Uh, what is one lesson that's taking the longest to learn? Uh, saying no. So, yes. Yeah, saying no. It is tough. 
Um, I'm glad you didn't say no today, though. So that's good. <laughs> if you could have coffee with one current or historical figure, who would it be? I think – I don't want to be cliche, but because Elon Musk is where he is at the mm. moment in the world, it would be great to have a cup of coffee with him because you know, it's all linked to Peter Till's yeah. book as well. But yeah, yeah. Also that his, how he's disrupted and changed the planet is just something very mm. topical for me. Yeah, he's – not doing so great with the Twitter or X or... But you know moment. what? Maybe Twitter, that's... Hey, he gets X winners. Maybe, yeah. he's, maybe he's entitled to a loser. I don't yeah. Know. Not, not sure about the Twitter thing myself. Yeah, it's, it seems outside of his strategy, mm. which is a strange one. Anyway, because I, I, I do like Elon as well. Uh, if you, What is some of the best advice that you've ever received? Uh, look, the best advice is stay the course. You know, if you've got a... If things aren't doing particularly well but... It, it looks like you're heading in the right direction. I love the I love the saying, stay the course. Stay the course. Yeah, very good. What's one habit that holds you back the most? One habit that holds me back? Oh, uh, procrastination, for sure, if that's a bad habit. Really? Oh, shocking procrastinator. Yeah, but it seems like... I give a plug to Olivia, who's my new personal assistant. She's brilliant because she does it. She, just she makes pushes it me. But, yeah, I, I'm a shocking procrastinator. Were you procrastinating in your early years at Sage? It seems like you're making decisive decisions and quickly. Um, yeah, look, I think procrastination is <laughs> do it tomorrow, don't do it today. You know, uh, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your biggest pet peeve? As in having a pet? No, as in like oh, what, is your, what pisses you off the most? Oh, <laughs> uh, people and money. I mean, it just people and money. Yeah. I mean, go back to my thing, nicest bloke you'll ever meet and then – you have lunch and he says, well, hang on, I had the – you had an extra glass of wine than me. Yeah. I don't want to have lunch with that person. So that's my peeve. Yeah, that's horrible. I'll go out with – Do people still do that? Look, sometimes, <laughs> unfortunately, you might go with a group of people and say, excuse me, but I I didn't have any wine and I had a – Yeah. I had the entree. It was only three bucks or something. No, no, no. No. No, $30. No, I don't want to waste my time <laughs> with those people. That is my pet peeve. How do you reach a point where you do that though? Like, oh, oh mine, just pay for it. I just go, right, yeah. like, hey, you know what? I think we might just pay for everything today and get out of here. Yeah, that's right. You know, people there with a the calculator oh, yeah. fucking around. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, so you're getting me fired up now. Um, <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I, yeah. The, oh, this, oh, it's oh, shout oh, in the pub, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, hang on. Uh, well, I'm not sure. It's your round. It's my round. No. Exactly. Fuck, just get it. Hurry up. Yeah, the... Yes, the $33.27 is the one that... It's <laughs> so when they bring out a calculator, but <laughs> yeah, well, they're on your phone now. When they start doing that, they've lost me. <laughs> I don't want to go for dinner. If you could pay, it like, I hate doing chores. This is where this question comes from, uh, household chores. If you, I mean, you probably would well, pay. Being, look, being a, um, I, I really love cooking. Yeah. And it would, it's great when someone's following you cleaning up the mess. I mean, oh, the cleaning cooking is, yeah. is so fantastic. Yeah. But then when you look back and there's bloody piles it's of the worst. dishes and scraping pots and pans, no, get someone to do that. I would order or I'd go to a restaurant on the fact that I don't want to clean up after. Mm. Like on that, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like I, I like I like the act of cooking as well, but I just do not want to clean up after. I hate it. Well, yeah, there you I'm go. With, I'm well, with we'll you. share that one. <laughs> now, you've already said this earlier, but what's one word that you absolutely hate? I mean, what did I say? Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. You I'm going to stick with that. You stick with that. One word I hate or, or can't. You know, when people say, I can't yeah. do it, I can't, can't do it. it. But, yeah, bureaucracy would rate the highest. Yeah. yeah. My parents, one lesson that I learned from my, my parents was there's no such word as can't. 
There you go. That was, that's literally the one thing that they drummed into me yeah. my whole yeah. life. There is no such thing as can't. Uh, what's the first thing that you would do if you became invisible? I like this one. It's a bit creepy. <laughs> do you know what? I'd find out the most exclusive event <laughs> that's happening somewhere in the world and go and just get in there. And join in it. Right. So it could be the – And listen to the conversation. It could be the Super Bowl. It could be – but, yeah, it yeah. would have to be something yeah. that, that – it could be a concert you can't get into. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's the concert that's going to be here you can't get into? The the Beatle? What's his name? Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Just, I just get on a plane and go somewhere where I couldn't go normally. <laughs> Brilliant. What's the most useless talent you have? I think it could be – it's useless from a business perspective. could be useful personally, but I can fall asleep with a glass in my hand full of whatever and not spill a drop. So it's a useless talent, but, but – Well, you can just fall asleep anywhere. I can fall asleep in a chair. Adrian travels with me a lot. He says, I cannot believe as soon as we clip the seatbelt on a plane or something, I just fall asleep. Oh, I'm sorry. And I may have a glass of champagne in my Are you a good sleeper? Very good sleeper. That, that's I, can, probably, I can fall asleep within seconds of hitting the pillow. How many hours would you say that you get? Oh, look, I'd love to get seven, eight. Love to. But Do you think that you your don't. your ability to sleep well is the reason why you haven't suffered from mental health and all oh, that stuff? Mate, I sleep. I love it. I just love sleeping. I'm a shit sleeper. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's annoying because it's the one thing that you shouldn't get wrong, right? Like okay. laying down doing nothing. Okay. <laughs> get, onto, get onto your magnesium. Yeah, get onto your fuse. Yeah, that's there. true. Yeah. Yeah. Right, my favourite question of the whole podcast, what's your best dad joke? Now, shit um, joke. Yeah, a shit joke. Oh, no. Two, one nut running after another nut and <laughs> and the one behind says, hey, I'm a cashew or something. I'm going to cashew. <laughs> something like that. I heard Wayne Phillips tell it the other night. But I hope uh, I'm quite right. Flip was my old cricket coach. Yeah, well, so Flipper, Flipper used that the other night at a yeah. uh, SA Leaders function. Yeah, so well done. One nut chase another. Hey, I'm a cashew. <laughs> the one behind said, hey, I'm going to cashew. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, Flip, I didn't do the joke very much justice. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, and look, just thank you for sharing your career, your life story. Um, this, I think there's, it seems like this could almost be its own movie, like The Castle, uh, <laughs> with what went on early in the year. But, but kudos on, on the life and the career that you've, you've built and the business that you've built and, and the jobs that you've created for so many people here in South Australia and across Australia and, and, and potentially the world. So um, well done to you and the team. And I've thoroughly enjoyed having a chat with you today, Daniel. So. Yeah, it was great to be part. I'm glad I said yes. Thank you, said right. yes. Brilliant. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where can uh, they get LinkedIn. Look, they don't have my private details yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. A lot of people will reach out on LinkedIn yep. and catch up yep. that way. Sometimes I get bombarded constantly on there, but yeah. Nice. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. And thank you, everyone. We'll uh, catch you next time. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys. All the best. All the best.